Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. As always, as always, thank you. Thank you to every single one of you who take the time to listen to the show. I seriously appreciate it. Okay, so I know during every intro or during every show before we get to the guests, I tell you how much I love speaking with the guests. I tell you how much I love laughing with them and had such a great time because as you know, I absolutely love doing this show. Like it's probably one of my favorite things to do. I just, I love talking to people just, you know, just about animals. We have a passion for animals and I, I just absolutely love it. I will tell you what, I had such an enjoyable time talking to today's guest. I literally haven't laughed this hard in the longest time. And the last podcast I laughed this hard on was actually last week's with Flora and Fauna from Keeper Chat. Go check that out if you have not already, but that's a really fun episode. And I thought, man, this is going to be really, really hard to top because I had so much fun with Flora and Fauna on Keeper Chat. How am I ever going to be able to find a guest to laugh with this much? And I'll tell you what, this gal that we have on the show today, Andrea Arden, was so funny. I had such a good time speaking with her. She is a world famous dog trainer and teacher. You might have seen her or recognized her name from Animal Planet. She did a number of shows, including Dogs 101, Cats 101, Pets 101. She's been on multiple TV shows, including Live with Kelly and Ryan, The Today Show, Good Morning America, 2020, Dateline, The View, CBS News, CNN, Fox, PBS, Lifetime. She has just really done it all. She is the founder of Andrea Arden's Dog Training, which is based right in New York City. They have a great social media following. You can follow them on Instagram at Andrea Arden Dog Training. I'll make sure to put the links in the show notes. You can follow her on Instagram and Facebook. And listen to this. She was named the best dog trainer in New York City by the New York Daily News. Okay, that's a huge, huge accomplishment. So she knows a lot about training. And with this interview, I kind of did something different. Well, I guess sometimes I ask for your feedback. Actually, a lot of times. Never mind. I'll take that back. I did something where I went on my social channels, on my Facebook and Instagram, at Corbett Maxi. If you aren't following me already, please do. And I asked you, I'm, you know, speaking with Andrea, do you have any pet related, you know, questions? And you guys gave me a lot of questions and I loved it. We literally went through every single question and answered them. And I didn't even know that she would do this. We actually, we had well over, I think we're nearing like 40 questions. And I told her initially, I said, you know, off air, I said, we don't have to answer each and every one. And we just went on a roll. Like she went on a roll and answered every single one. And we went a little bit over her scheduled interview time, but I'm so happy she took the time to do that. So if you were one of the people that wrote a comment and you're hoping that we got to it, we did. So make sure to listen to the full episode. You're going to love it, especially if you have a dog. You're going to learn a lot. And I learned a lot. I love that. I love this about the show. I love learning. And I learned a lot during the show because yeah, as you know, exotics are kind of my specialty. So when it comes to dog and cats, like I'm, you know, still learning just like you and just like all of us. So learned a lot during this show. Now, before we get to the interview, as always, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. If you do that, I will give you personal shout outs with the animals and it's so much fun. So do that. And also, if you have any questions or guest suggestions, make sure to send them to me at info at CorbinMaxi.com. With that said, I think it's time. I think it's time to get to our interview. Please welcome. Welcome to the show, world-famous dog trainer and teacher, Andrea Arden. Andrea, thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I love chatting with other people who like chatting about animal behavior and 
animals in general. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I have to tell you what, I did a lot of research on you, as I do all my guests. And your biography is extensive. Like, I felt like I was reading, like, the Guinness Book of World Records for animal training because it's just, like, it was so impressive. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I think, I think all that means is that I've been doing this a long time. I think I could be your mother. <laughs> no, you look, you look so young. And anyway, you and I actually – <laughs> We've worked with the same people in TV, but we'll get to get to that later. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. First and foremost, you are a world famous dog trainer. You've been featured on, you know, Animal Planet, other networks, several morning shows. And yeah, tell us just a little bit about yourself. I think you just said it all. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably something else. Author. <laughs> no, but I'm not not a world famous dog trainer. I, I think I I'm based in New York City, so I think that alone. Um, you know, it's in the heart of media. So I've been lucky to be on lots of different TV shows and work with lots of fun, different clients and all that sort of good stuff. But, you know, at the core, I'm a dog trainer. I have a business here in New York City. We have four locations. Uh, there's 10 of us on the training team. And that really is what most of my life is about. It's, it's, it's not about necessarily being on TV all the time, although that's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> the TV stuff is fun. Your makeup done. It's fun. All that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I started about 25 years ago and um, I apprenticed for like two years and I was really lucky because after apprenticing, I started my own school and the rest is history. So Andrea, did you always want to be a dog trainer growing up? No, I think I probably wanted to work with horses. In fact, I went to college. Um, I chose my the college I went to because they had a riding team. Okay. So that's really my passion. And I moved to South Africa for a little while and worked with horses. I know. I know. It was really fun. Um, and um, I wish I had done more traveling like that when I was younger because now I'm kind of stationed here in New York City. But um, I came back to New York City and there's not a lot of horses to train here in New York City. Yep. So... I went a little smaller and started working with dogs. <laughs> Was it is it just dogs that you specialize in, or all different types, like you know cats or anything like that? We do. We work with some cats. Um, we do more work with cats when it comes to handling them for media, like for commercial work and that sort of stuff. Okay. Then then behavior problem solving. Okay, yeah. so you like really shorten that up. Okay, so you wanted to work with horses, then you moved to New York City and decided, well, there's not a lot of horses, so you wanted to start training dogs, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I feel a little awkward talking about myself. Let's talk about animal behavior. No, 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 no. Andrew, well, this show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Well, here's the deal. I actually got a massive response on my social media channels from people who, who want to ask you questions, but I feel like people do need to know who you are. Like, you know, who in the world, how is she, you know, credible and stuff like this. So I think it's great that we're talking about you. Let me say a little bit about my training sort of experience. So Perfect. when I started a long, long time ago, 25 years ago, I would say most of us were training in the same sort of general way, which was pretty heavy handed. You know, a lot of it was about um, focusing on correcting dogs, that sort of thing. Um, I kind of got a really weird lucky break um, when a network called FX was being developed. I was cast as the dog trainer on the network for a show called The Pet Department. I had been training for many years, but I really didn't feel really equipped to go on national television and talk about dog training. You know, when you're younger, you're like, I, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> so I reached out to Dr. Ian Dunbar, okay. who, um, who is a very sort of, he's really the, one of the most famous people in our field. He um, helped to um, really professionalize our industry. He created the Association of Professional Dog Trainers. Um, he created the certification program. And so he really helped me sort of 
I would say, change my sort of approach to teaching not only people but dogs to what I would say in general is a, a sort of more friendly approach that's about managing their behavior um, and teaching them in a really positive way. Um, so I've been through my career somebody who's endeavored to learn as much as I can about animal behavior, but I've also, without planning it, learned a lot about the different ways of teaching. Okay, that's great. And so how long were you training dogs before you landed your first national TV spot? And did did you do local stuff before, or was it just like on a whim that someone's like, hey, I know this great trainer, she'd be great for this project? It was the latter. It was somebody just said, come in and audition. And I was like, oh, no, this is silly. And my boyfriend at the time said, you should go do it. And I'm very shy. No. So it was, Are you yeah, serious? I, like painfully shy. So it was a very difficult thing for me. I was shaking. I was like, I can't do this. But um, I had been training for maybe, I would say, four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we did really fun, lighthearted segments. It was a daily show. Um, you know, we did everything from how to teach your dog to sit to things like we'd bring in two border collies and herd geese in New York City. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of wild and crazy. It was a really great experience. Um, so from there, that's actually where my media career was launched. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you have as well, you, you know, once you do one thing, then people go, oh, they're not bad on TV. Let's have them on this show or this one or what have you. Yeah, yeah I just have to hold on. You're, I, I know you don't want to talk about yourself and I love that you're humble, but you are your resume is very impressive. Let's see, like just regarding the shows live with Kelly, the Today Show, uh, 2020, Dateline, The View, CBS News, NBC News, CNN, Fox, PBS, Lifetime. Oh, my gosh. Wait, there's only one that I'm going to add to the list, and it's, it's it? it was uh, Stephen Colbert. And let me tell you why. Because oh. wait, wait, wait. I got to do it with Will Ferrell. And that was, out of all of the shows I've done, that was the most fun show I've ever done. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What did you do? I didn't really get to do anything. I They had me playing, like, his assistant, but it didn't matter. We were there for like seven or eight hours. And I was like, I'll stay for another nine hours if I get to work with Will Ferrell. And I did. And it was great. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Was that when he pretended to be an animal expert? And Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. And was Will just like how he is like on TV or was he super nice? You know, I have to say, and I hope he if, if he's listening, um, he he's was even fan. funnier. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah. He was even funnier backstage. Like when we got out and I watched it after, I was like, wow, he was hilarious. But he was, he, I was laughing so hard behind the scenes as we were like, he was, I was showing him how to handle the different animals. I didn't want him to like drop a gerbil or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and he was so funny that I was, I was like crying, laughing. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pull off this straight man thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so good. Cause sometimes, cause you've worked with a lot of celebrities. Sometimes you meet them and you, you know, you know, this persona and then off camera, it's like, Oh, that's not really how you are. <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> I'll leave you alone. And we will not say who those people are. <laughs> no, I never have except no. once on my podcast, but no, I I've since ceased to do that, but I'm sure. Yeah. I'll talk to you after the air, but okay. So awesome. You've had fun doing national shows. Great. So I asked my followers some questions and I, like I said, I got a lot of questions. So I just, do you mind if I pick your brain? No, go right ahead. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see how useful I can be. I'm sure you're super useful, by the way. Hold on. And just hold with me. I'm going to go through my Facebook page at Corbin Maxi, and you can, uh, yeah, people were so excited and writing me giant novels and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, you guys keep it just to a couple sentences, please. But <laughs> people are passionate about their pets. 
Absolutely, yeah. This is from. Uh, why are you scared? <laughs> these these are so easy. I, I hopefully okay. These are fine. <laughs> I promise. And we have the ability to edit too. So if you're like, I don't know, just yeah, you're fine. I, I see the answers. It's you know what part of it is when people ask you. It's like if I go to a party. Okay. I almost never tell people what I do for a living because they always go, oh, wait, can I just ask you a quick question? And then it turns into like the dog is peeing on the carpet or he's biting the kids. And I'm like, I really just wanted to have a martini and chill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, too. Oh, my gosh. I'm with you. If I have a dime for every story, like, hold on. My son had a lizard back in the day. His name was Iggy. And then he ended up dying. Like, I mean, there's always these horrific stories that people come up and tell me. I'm just like, I just, you know, want to hang out, too. I totally get that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, question. <laughs> okay, here we go. Robin. So Robin said, is there such a thing as a dog who just can't be trained? Or is that maybe a situation of a dog being mismatched with a person? Like, for instance, a high-anxiety dog and high-anxiety person seems like a really bad energy mix, but would the same dog be successful in a different home? I know that was a lot. Yeah, that wasn't even a question because she's so spot on. Like, uh, absolutely, I think that, um, well, the first part, Oh, wait, the first part, she's not so spot on. There is no dog that can't be trained um, unless the dog is, um, you know, on medication and it's it doesn't have its full ability to process information. But I absolutely think that more often than not, the behavior problems we see come down to the fact that it's not always the perfect match. It could be that the person loves their dog. It could be that it's a lovely dog. But as an example, do you know how many people ask me, oh, my dog is so crazy, he's so hyper, he's bothering the neighbors, he barks all the time. Um, and as they tell me more about their lifestyle, I'm thinking, well, you got a really high energy dog and you're a really busy person. It's not training so much, it's just modifying your lifestyle to some degree to compromise and give the dog an outlet that it needs at this age in its life. Um, so Robin is spot on, there are, there are cases where it's just not a perfect match. That doesn't mean you can't make it work, but we all have to compromise. Okay, if I'm a high anxiety person with a bunch of stuff going on, what would be the best breed for me? Oh gosh, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a mouthful. Okay, and if I am a fat couch potato, <laughs> if I am a fat couch potato, what is the best pet? What is the best dog breed for me? I'm just curious. I'm asking these questions. Well, now, are you a couch potato who wants to no longer be a couch potato, or do you want a buddy to be a couch potato with you? I want a buddy to be a couch potato with me and occasionally walk and watch Netflix. Okay. Then I would say go to a shelter and adopt like a middle-aged senior dog. Who's just chill. I like that. Okay. Very cool. Okay. Awesome. Just don't get attached if it's senior. Okay. The next question. I'm sorry. That was not funny. And you just, oh, I'm just offending you all over all up and down this interview. Okay. Our next one. I'm happy you're laughing though. During this. I, so, I during always laugh. I'm so sorry. You're no. going to have to edit because can't stop laughing oh i'm so happy that you're laughing you no one usually laughs at me so this is great i'm like having so much fun okay so debbie says how to stop a dog from barking every time we leave the neighbors are complaining yeah so that's a really common problem i mean i think you know i wish there was an answer that was like two or three sentences there isn't if there was dog trainers wouldn't be in business you know, generally speaking, when you have a dog who's expressing themselves or expressing their stress when you leave, it's probably due to a lot of things. It's probably due to the fact that the dog hasn't had the experience it needs practicing learning to self-pacify when you're home first. 
So most people make it too black and white for the dog. They come home and they spend, you know, all night with the dog. The dog sleeps on the bed, which is fine. And then they wake up in the morning. They're like, bye-bye. They shut the door and leave. Your dog deserves to have some time practicing, whether it's in a crate for a short period of time or in another room or tethered on a leash to a stable object, learning to be able to take a breath and calm down when they can't always make contact with you. That's number one. Number two is I would look at the house and say, when I close the door, you know, what is it I'm leaving my dog with to do? Is it enough to keep my dog occupied and happy? Because if I was left in a house for eight or nine hours and I had no iPhone, no computer, no TV, nothing, no books, I probably would go a little stir crazy. And that's essentially what a lot of times we expect of our dogs. Yeah. Was that... Oh, that's your head. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. I'm just soaking this up. And you know, I'm going to be honest up just up front. My specialty is in exotic. So I'm learning just as much as these people are. I mean, obviously animal behavior is something I did study, but no, I'm very fascinated because yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, okay. Let's see. Lenora or Lenore, excuse me. Sorry, Lenore. Um, Lenore would like to know, I'd be so grateful for tips to training an 11 month old puppy to not jump on guests. Oh, this one's so easy. I love this sort of stuff. So we play a game in our puppy classes, and it's um, it's a sit-to-greet exercise. So think of it this way. There's only a few things that a dog can do when it's saying hello to somebody that everybody approves of, and that's keeping four on the floor, four paws on the floor, by standing or sitting. Mm-hmm. So we play a game in our puppy class where everybody stands up. To begin, they step on their dog's leash, so it's just long enough that the dog is comfortable but will self-correct if they go to jump. And then when people come with partners and the trainers in class, we all go to the middle of the room. We have handfuls of little tiny, tiny treats. And then we all walk around the room to each one of the 10 or 15 puppies in the class, walking up to them and not saying a word, just waiting for the dog to offer a sit. And then we mark it with a word like yes or good. And then we go to the next dog. It usually takes three to five minutes before you get an entire class of dogs puppies as young as eight weeks old who are throwing or offering a sit automatically when somebody starts to approach because they've now had many, many repetitions of practicing it in that one session. And if she does it with her dog at home, when friends visit by tethering the dog to a stable object or stepping on the leash, it shouldn't take the dog, the dog long to figure out that sitting is the way they get what they want. Oh, that's great. Okay. Thank you very much, Lenore, for that. Kylie says, my Dane isn't aggressive, but I can't take her out on walks as she goes crazy at the sight of another dog, pulling and barking. I want to take her out. Also, she is super calm and doesn't chew on anything except every dog baby by her. What the heck? Sorry, that's two questions. So the first one is the Dane isn't aggressive, but then when they take out, it just goes crazy with other dogs. And she doesn't chew on anything except for... Dog beds. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, uh, aggression is a word that we are careful in the way we use it because we know people are sensitive about it. Um, Would I say that her dog is reactive? Absolutely, because her dog is reacting to other animals. Um, And, you know, again, aggression is, is sort of subjective in some ways. You know, if I was walking down the street with a dog and a big Great Dane was bouncing around barking and lunging, Um, Would I move out of the way because I would assume that there's the chance that my dog might feel uncomfortable? Absolutely. Um, So one of the things I would say to her is there's a really simple exercise, which which is just a hand target. You teach your dog to touch the palm of your hand with their nose, and you start by presenting your hand about six inches away. When they touch their nose to your hand, you say the word yes or good and follow it up with a tiny treat. 
Repeat it 20, 30, 40, 50 times a day until you have a dog who the moment you put your hand out and you present your flat palm, they immediately go to push the button with their nose, which means you now have a very simple way of redirecting your dog's head away from things like other dogs. And if you play this game up and down the street, it's sort of like a dance with your dog, which means they're playing with you to earn rewards rather than focusing on the thing they're reacting to. Oh, that's great. What do you, what about bully breeds? Because for instance, I have a pit bull named Zoe. She's the love of our life. She's eight years old. She's great. She's a perfect dog, but she doesn't get along with like smaller dogs. We just don't want to put her in that situation. What do you do with breeds like that? Um, is, is there any hope, Andrea, or is it just like keep them separated for life? What are your thoughts? You know, I've had so many different types of dogs. Um, I've had four Doberman Pinschers, a bunch of Gordon Setters. I've had mixed breeds. Um, I will say whenever I have a dog that is physically more capable of doing um, harm, even though none of them ever did, I was always more careful. Why wouldn't I be? I mean, the last dog I had, Nora, who sadly passed away a few months ago, was a little terrier mix. She was about 12 pounds. Listen, even if she got into a scuffle, you know, she wasn't going to hurt anyone. The Dobermans, if they wanted to, they could have. So I always think it's important if you make a choice to have an animal in your life who could do harm, even if you know in your heart that they're the loveliest, sweetest dog in the world, you not only need to more carefully manage them, you need you have a greater responsibility in regards to them learning mannerly behavior, but you also need to be fair to the people around you. You know, I wasn't offended when people were afraid of my Dobermans. You know, it made me sad for them, um, and I tried to show them how nice my dogs were, but... You know, people have a reaction when an animal is intimidating looking, even if it isn't truly an intimidating animal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something you need to respect. Absolutely. Great. Okay, let's go on to Elise. She wants all the answers to these. We're working on it, Elise. Diane says, hey, Corbin, uh, I would like to know how to get my 22-month-old Border Collie mix to be not so friendly. Also, she's very aggressive about having her nails trimmed. She does it herself, but it makes the T point. It's terrible. So this is, once again, sorry, two questions. But the first one is how to make them not friendly. I've never heard that people not wanting to be friendly. I don't know for security. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what she means. But if she means maybe her dog is a little overly enthusiastic, um, which I'm going to we'll assume that's what she meant. Um, then I think that it's about teaching uh, again back to self-control, impulse control. You know, teaching the dog that taking a breath before reacting, no matter how excited you are, is okay. And we teach that by doing really simple exercises every day in the home. You know, before you put down a bowl of water or a bowl of food, hold it up, wait for your dog to offer a sit, then say yes or good and put it down. The next time you do it, hold up the bowl of water or food, wait for four or five seconds before putting it down. And you you implement this sort of exercise in everything you do with your dog, whether you're about to throw a toy about to give them a treat, about to invite them up on the couch, teaching them that patience, taking a breath and calming down, which is something I need to do. I'm very I know, hyper. me too. I'm like, crap, are you talking to me or my dog? Is <laughs> the way to earn the things they want. So, so assuming she means her dog is overly enthusiastic, that's what I would suggest. And then her second question was... The second um, question oh, was... Oh, the nail. The nails, yep. Yeah, so, you know, uh, some of the best videos, and you've probably seen a lot of these because you're involved with exotics and wild animals, is um, when when people who are keepers in um, sanctuaries, for example, uh, in the old days, they would have to trank the animals, tranquilize the animals in order to do basic care. 
uh, for an elephant, it might be filing their, their little feet um, or, you know, whether the vet's coming and doing just a quick checkup. Nowadays, um, those keepers have taught so many of those animals to present body parts, for example, for a tiger to put its paw through the cage so that they can give it a shot um, or, you know, to get their nails clipped or whatever it is. Um, and the, the same can hold true for the animals we share our homes with. We can teach them uh, good manners when it comes to handling and gentling. Um, and that's something as simple as just saying, I'm going to start by just holding your paw and rewarding you for that. Then I'm going to start manipulating your paw and reward you for that. Then maybe I'll take the clippers. I'm not actually going to clip your nail, but I'll bring it close and so on until eventually you're working at the point where you're clipping one nail at a time and then you throw a party. Um, you know, I think sometimes people... Uh, wait until their dog's nails are really long and then they tackle them and it becomes this incredibly stressful confrontational process whereas if you put the time and energy in to teach your dog to tolerate it um, then i think it's something that for the life of the animal will be a lot easier great 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 how can a groomer help her dogs relax more more specifically giant breeds is that the same along the same lines yeah i mean you know, I always feel badly for groomers. I got to say, out of all the animal professionals, they got they have a, they have a difficult job. People tip your groomers, tip them well. Oh, and I yeah. really, I really mean that because you know, a lot of times what happens is people bring their animals into a groomer and they have extremely high expectations for what the dog's supposed to look like, the aesthetics. And that's great. Um, but you know, keep in mind this is a person who um, is this is how they make a living. They love animals. They've chosen to make a career out of caring for animals. Um, the least we can do is help our animals be prepared for the experience of being at a groomer by number one, teaching them to be able to be away from their people, doing lots of practice sessions, having them maybe go out for a quick walk with a friend or two, um, working on handling and gentling exercises so that when you walk into your groomer, you don't have to say to them, oh, he doesn't like having his feet touched. He doesn't like having his ears touched. He doesn't like this, this, and this. That just makes their job so much harder and puts them at risk. And it also makes it much harder for your animal because then they're under more stress. Um, so I think it really comes down to, you know, really doing our part to make sure that we're raising animals that have good handling skills. Okay, great. Let me clear out my throat. Sorry. <laughs> Sounds like I have a frog in my throat. I'm like, <laughs> and also I like I sound like I'm on such a soapbox and I apologize. No, you're um, great. No, and I'm the little lady who's like, people, you need to train no, your dog. You are great. I'm not giving you the whole cutoff, like cut off. <laughs> no, you are so great and charismatic. I absolutely love this. So I'm having such a good time. I swear, I, I'm not lying. Trust me. I've interviewed some scientists and you know, they're great and I love the information, but it's like, come on, can I get a smile? Come on. Can I get a laugh? <laughs> so this is great. Okay. Jennifer would like to know, how do you keep your dog barking? Um, from barking at other people and dogs when either they're out or with, when you're with them in, in the uh, in your backyard? Yeah, so that's a tough one. So dogs are by nature, you know, they're going to react to changes in the environment. Uh, there's a fancy term called sudden environmental stimulus. Um, and what that means essentially is that, you know, if, if something moves like an animal that they might prey upon, um, or if there's a sound or something, they're going to alert to it. And typically they alert by doing what? by barking. So it's a very normal part of animal behavior. With that said, I think people need to think logically when it comes to controlling dog behavior. It's not that you want to stop something necessarily. There's some things we want to stop. You don't want to stop your dog from barking. You want to be able to have a dog where you have a good enough relationship that if the dog alerts to a change in the environment, and then you say, thank you very much. 
here, and you call your dog to, to you to do a hand target, they go, okay, and they turn around and come back to you. If they've turned around and they come back to you, they're no longer reacting to the stimulus in the environment. The problem is most people, and I understand it, we're all busy, don't want to put in the time for the teaching part. They just want somebody to say how to stop it in the moment. In the moment, if your neighbors are getting annoyed or if you're getting annoyed, manage it. Just go get your dog and bring them inside and let them hang out inside. That's the best I can say. Oh, you're better than <laughs> me. I'm like, Zoe, shut up! <laughs> the Amazon Prime guy's fine. Like, <laughs> He's <laughs> he's bringing you biscuits no we actually what we'll do and my wife's gotten better at this with me but she's like you know we we like thank her okay thank you zoe that's enough like you know but we thank her because that's why she's in our house she's our guard dog you know that's her natural instinct yeah. so yeah okay okay so angela oh wow she has a few questions oh my gosh can she just fix her i have a ton of questions one i actually like these though how do i keep my dog from digging so management Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to answer them as we go. Management. Um, okay. Dogs okay. dig. Uh, dependent on the type of dog and dependent on the individual dog. So terriers, I just had a terrier, are typically big diggers. That's what we bred them for, right? Yep. That's what we wanted. That's what we get. And within that type of, of, of breed or, or you know mix, there are a range of dogs. Some are super diggers. Some are like, eh, I like to dig a little bit. But if your dog's really into digging and they're enthusiastic about it and you put them in a yard and you leave them unsupervised and they dig, there's no training to do. That's just you made a mistake by leaving your dog in the yard. It's like if I had a kid who was being kind of naughty and I knew he had a propensity to take the car keys and go drive off and go to a party when he wasn't supposed to, would it be wise for me to leave the car keys on the kitchen counter? No. 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 <laughs> Corbin, you're looking at me like, I don't know. <laughs> I was a good kid. That is so judgmental. That is not cool, Andrea. <laughs> Why not? Why can't I take the car? <laughs> oh my God, it's funny. Okay, yeah. So, so, so it's just management. Yeah, the, and the training part is, you know, if you're, again, it's all uh, training. I think sometimes people try and make it way more complicated than it is. Like, and as an older trainer, I think I, I've lost any sense of ego about this stuff. Like people have said to me, what's your method? I'm like, I don't have a method. It's learning theory. We all teach the same way. If, if you're basing it on learning theory, whether you're working with a horse or a cat or you know, a dog, but it all comes down to managing a situation to best set the animal up for success and then teaching them the behaviors we want them to learn. In the case of digging, it's not wise to leave a dog who has a propensity to dig out in the yard unsupervised, but if you're hanging out in the yard with a dog who's a digger and you see him starting to dig, I know I, you can answer this question, Corbin. What could you do if your dog started to dig to get them to stop? Hand. Well, <laughs> hand. And you need to teach him the hand. And then you need to always have treats on you. Absolutely. Exactly. Oh, my God. I was like, you totally put me in the spot. I'm like, no, yeah, the hand. Absolutely. I'm going to start doing that with Zoe. Show them your hand. But then you have to stop. I'm going to put it out too. I'm going to flash it out just like that. <laughs> okay. Use your hand, Angela. Okay. And I, and I would say also, this is just my opinion and I am not a dog trainer. So you just tell me if I'm like completely off, but I feel like if you have a beautiful backyard and you don't, you don't want your dog to dig, maybe have a, maybe a separate area of your yard fenced off or closed off for your dog. You know what I mean? I mean, so that way you just don't set your animal up for a bad situation or up for failure. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. So in one of my books, I have a, a um, illustration of what we, you know, like a, a doggy sandpit. Okay. And for years, I'd say to people, listen, 
just put a little like digging pit out there, what have you. And I'm going to tell you why I stopped saying that because I bought a house in Arizona and my nephew's dog was digging in the yard. And one of my nephews being a smart aleck said to me, well, in your book, it says that we should build Roscoe a digging pit. And I was like, oh, I'm so not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I decided if I'm not willing to do it, I'm not going to give it out as advice. (laughs) But it is useful if you're willing to give up part of your yard as a doggy digging pit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, How... How do I keep my job? Uh, my job. <laughs> I don't know. At least we're both self-employed, right? That's nice. No one can fire us. That's a great. That's a. That's a plus. That's a different podcast for another day. How do I keep my dog from chewing? Is it like the same thing? I mean. Yeah, I mean, chewing is really just uh, you know. Again, it's so simple. It's like when you bring a kid to um to a nice restaurant you know, and let's say they're like three to six years old. And at that age, you know, they tend to be all over the place, making noise and doing stuff, picking, you know, things up. Most parents who are caregivers who are wise will bring something for the child to do, whether it's a Nintendo on silent um, or crayons or that sort of thing. The same holds true for our dogs. Just give them food stuffable. That's important. I think most dogs are more inclined to play with toys that are stuffed with food, healthy treats or their normal meals then if you give them a squeaky toy, they'll kill the squeaky toy after 15, 20 minutes, but a food stuffed toy usually will engage them for a lot longer. Yeah. And I have to say this morning, I was drinking my coffee and I watched a bunch of your stuff on the uh, Today Show and I learned so much, like some fun snacks, some healthy snacks, like you said, popcorn was good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Is there anything else that would be good, like healthy treats for dogs? Popcorn? Well, you know, a lot of people use a bunch of popcorn. No, I'm <laughs> People um, use Cheerios yeah, that's um, what you said. as Cheerios. little, yeah, little quick little things. But um, I will say that most trainers I know tend to use um, very, very small pieces. Number one, because I haven't been to the gym in many, many years. But I remember back in the day that when I wanted to get fit, I had to do lots of reps to build physical muscles. The same holds true for learning muscles. So if we want to be able to do lots of repetitions with our dogs and give them lots of reinforcement to say that behavior is what we like, whether it be coming when called or sitting to say hello to people. We want to make sure we're giving reinforcements that are so small that we're not going to feel like we're over-treating them at the end of the day. Um, I use turkey cold cuts a lot. It has L-tryptophan in it, okay. which makes it be on Thanksgiving. Yep. So yep. it can the edge a little bit off of your, uh, your dog's behavior. It won't make them super sleepy, but it's a little bit... Um, and then you can also use your dog's normal meals if it's something they like. You know, instead of just putting it in a bowl, you can use it to teach them throughout the day. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, let's go back. Okay, uh, and I also have a few from, like, people regarding leash, uh, you know, just leash, you know, habits and stuff. But she has a horrible leash habit, and she pulls a lot. How do I break her of that? I have to say, out of all of the things that we are asked to teach dogs to do, walking on leash, especially in New York City, where, you know, it's so chaotic, is probably the hardest thing. So uh, we love it when people uh, post on Instagram stories. We repost them a lot, and they show us videos of them in the hallways of their buildings or, you know, the lucky few in New York City who have little backyards or even out in the street when they're practicing this one game, which we call Step, Stop, Sit. And it's where you just start by just luring, that is holding a piece of food at your dog's nose and lifting it up in the air so their head follows it up and then their rear goes to the ground and they sit, marking it by saying yes, giving the food reward, saying something like, let's go, and taking a, just a couple of steps, and then stopping and luring your dog to sit again. 
you keep repeating this with just a few steps in between sits until your dog is automatically offering the sit behavior when you stop. So that they, they know when you stop, they just go boop and they sit. Now you can start adding more steps in between. So you get up to 20, 30, 40 steps and your dog's trotting nicely by your side. You stop and your dog sits. That's walking nicely on leash. Great. Boom. Done. Done. Is that like the number one question you hate at like a cocktail party? You're like, my dog's scruffy. Like you're just like, oh, geez. <laughs> no. The one question I hate is when people ask me things about their dog's house training mistakes and they are really graphic. I don't get grossed out by stuff like that, but in public, I'm like, do you really want me to address your dog's diarrhea? Like while we're standing here all having like a nice night. <laughs> As we're eating this pate, would you like me to talk about the consent? Oh, sorry. I just thought, oh, I was listening to a commercial. I'm sorry. This is so off topic. I was listening to a commercial on the radio yesterday, or it was last week, and they were talking about this medication giving you oily stools. And I thought, that is the most disgusting, right? Like, I was like, who wants to, what? Who, like? The like, FDA was like, you're going to have to get that line in there, or you're in big trouble. It was, like, awful. <laughs> Completely ruined my appetite. Okay, Garrett has a question. He says, which is more important with dogs, being the alpha or just being a mediator? Um, I'm not sure either one is of utmost importance. Um, a couple things. One, which is really interesting is that the gentleman who is considered to be responsible for coining that phrase, alpha dog or alpha wolf, um, actually came out with a statement paper a number of years ago saying, oops, I made a mistake. And his name is Dr. David L. Mech and it's spelled M-E-C-H. So the folks who are your fans can Google that. It's really interesting. And send him hate mail. (laughs) Here's his email. (laughs) Take it up with him. No, no. He came out with a statement paper saying, admitting I I made a mistake. Like the, you know, what we were judging when we were studying this this wolf pack, uh, which was a contained wolf pack, uh, meaning it wasn't out in the wild. Um, we, We misjudged that our assumptions about the way a wolf pack works were based on animals kept in captivity and it wasn't as accurate as we would have liked to, for it to have been. So anyway, I digress. I think one of the most important things when it comes to living with dogs in this day and age, which is vastly different even than 25 years ago when I started as a trainer, is that our lives have changed. We're busier than ever. I think people are more stressed than ever, which is part of why more people are, I think, have dogs because it hopefully alleviates some of our stress. But on the other hand, we're so busy and stressed out that I think sometimes our dog's misbehaviors make us more upset than they used to. You know, it's like all I want is for him to be a good dog. Why isn't he doing this? And so to me, one of the most important parts uh, that people should focus on is, number one, staying calm with their animal looking at the situation and saying, what can I do in the moment to manage the situation so my dog isn't doing the thing I don't like, so I'm not yelling at him. It's not about being alpha. It's just be in control, but be in control in a calm way that doesn't require brute force. And then the second part is developing a really nice cooperative relationship with your dog. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people will say to me, oh, my dog knows how to sit, but he'll only do it when I hold a treat. And I'm thinking, So what does your dog have to do when he wants to go out the front door to go play in the yard or when he wants, you know, to get a scratch by the ear or when he wants to jump up on the couch? All of those things should be things that as as a good pet parent, you should say to your dog, I adore you. I want to give you all this stuff. Hey, bud, can you do me a favor and give me a sit 
or can you come when I call you or can you lay down or can you go to your bed? Whatever the behaviors you are that you teach, it's cooperative. You're exchanging what the dog wants for what you want, which is in this case, good behavior. Sorry, that was long. I'm so sorry. No, why are you sorry? No, wait. No, no, no. no. Andrea, (laughs) we have podcasts that are almost three hours long, like near the beginning. (laughs) I know. Imagine trying to edit that. No, it's fine. No, go back to, you could actually go back. You know, this is a good plug for all my episodes. Folks, if you're listening to this, this is the first time, go back to listen to my earlier episodes, which are good. There's some that are long. So if you're having trouble going to sleep tonight, Andrea, you could, uh, you could plug that in and yeah, wake up tomorrow morning. But, uh, yes. (laughs) Okay. Our next question comes from Janice. She says, our golden doodle is just plain destructive. Anytime we leave, she chews up something. We cannot get her to stop. Okay, so I how old did she say how old her dog is? Janice did not. Did not. So um the thing when when a dog is destructive, I'm always gonna answer the same way. Um it's management. You're you're letting the dog practice behaviors, in this case destructive chewing or whatever the dog's doing that you don't like, and every time you do it that's becoming more and more who the dog is. One of the main reasons people don't follow through on advice to manage their dogs, i.e. to have them confined away in, let's say, a mudroom or a bedroom or you know, behind a baby gate or in a crate, um, is because they feel guilty. They're like, oh, no, I feel so badly because she's been running loose for the last year and I, that would make her upset. And I'm like, you know what would probably make your dog the most upset is if you continue for the next 10 years of its life to come home and be angry at your dog after your dog's destroyed something. Because inevitably people, no matter how nice they are, yell at their dogs or otherwise punish them. And honestly, I don't care what people say. The dog's sitting there going, I don't know what I did. It was two hours ago. And even if they look guilty, it's more just the dog sort of throwing appeasement gestures like, don't hurt me, you know, the ears get low and they do all of this. And people read that as guilt. When in more often than not, it's really just a dog going, I'm confused and I'm, I'm getting nervous. So I'm trying to sort of calm things down. Does that make sense? Yeah. And dogs, they don't have a sense of time, correct? Like they don't. Yeah. Uh, people, it's so funny you said that. I always say to people, if, if dogs understood time in the way that we think they, they do, why would a dog who's out in a boiling hot yard tip over their water bowl? Yeah. Like if they know they're going to be left alone for the next six hours, it just doesn't make sense. They're. The way that dogs process information, you know, the way that they see the world uh, is not the same as us. And that's one of the wonderful things about them. Sadly, I think it gets them into trouble because there's in some ways, there's not some ways, they're so bonded to us. They're so a part of our family. They sleep in our beds. We call ourselves fur mommies and daddies. Mm. I don't, but some do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we do call ourselves pet parents, yeah. but you know, and then sometimes I think because they've become so much a part of the family, in some ways it's a little bit to their detriment because we forget that they're still animals and they deserve to be given essentially the respect that the way they communicate is different than the way we do. And and being harsh with them when they're confused or we haven't we haven't taken the time to teach them something is really not fair. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's soapbox again. I'm, no. I'm just getting... You're doing great. No, this is no, uh, honestly, this is why we have podcasts. No one can cut us off. And no, this is you're doing so good. I'm I'm loving this. I'm taking this all in. Okay, Bree has a really good question. Bree says, what is the most common behavioral issue with dogs? And how do you overcome it with the least amount of stress to the dog and the owner? The most common 
you know, I worked at an animal shelter for 12 years and I would say the number one reason people told us they were surrendering a dog was because it wasn't house trained. Um, and I would say as a dog trainer in private practice, likewise, that's the number one issue people want to address. They'll tolerate, believe it or not, their dog biting people. But when the dog pees on the carpet one too many times, they're like, if you don't fix this by next week, I just don't know what I'm going to do. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think the way that we, we address it is really by hopefully explaining to people that house training is a very simple process in theory. It is about doing your best to not allow the animal to practice eliminating in the wrong place, again, using management and, and being able to gauge when they need to eliminate by using confinement so that if they're resting quietly in an area playing with a chew toy, you know after an hour, two hours, or three hours they need to go to the bathroom. That means you can accurately predict when they need to go and bring them to the right spot, whether it's on pads indoors or outside in your yard or on concrete, and reward them for going there. Repeating that over and over again is how you develop the habit that we call house training, i.e. an animal who says, this is the only place I feel comfortable going. Yep. Yep. Zoe wakes me up every morning at four o'clock in the morning and then she gets a treat every time. I know. Right. I know. So it's yeah. Yeah. It's four, awful. four o'clock. And sometimes she wakes me up. Actually, I have an issue with her. So she wait. <laughs> I like want to bring her in here. Yeah. She wakes me up at four to go pee every morning. And then she wakes me up several times during the middle of the night to let me know that her blanket fell off of her and she wants to be back tucked, tucked back in. So. Okay, I'm dumbfounded right now. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And that's, I'm not really mad at her. Yeah, she sleeps She sleeps on a dog bed on my side, and she sleeps with a blanket. has to be completely over her, and when that blanket is not covering her, she yips at me, and then I have to recover her and, you know, reorganize. Yeah, swear. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, which we're going to get a little personal for a second. Uh-oh, okay, where is she? Okay, go ahead. No one's at the house, so. Do you have children? No. Why would Do I be you- offended? <laughs> I'm the next part of the question. Yeah. Sometimes could offend people. Do you intend on having children? Probably in the future, but yes. Okay. If you do intend in the future on having children, that's a behavior that might be really troublesome if you have to wake up multiple times in the middle of the night for a baby. Yep. Yep. Okay. I mean, so I, I would get that resolved only because we always say to people, try and think of your dog's behavior now as it applies to what your li- how it might affect your life in the future. Because hopefully we have our dogs and our lives. You know, my dog was 17 and a half when she passed away. So you want to hopefully plan long term. Uh-huh. Uh, and you, I don't think you're going to want to live with a dog for the next 10 years who's waking you up all through the night. Do you? No, not at all. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm at the principal's office getting scolded, Andrea. <laughs> We're getting real. God, yeah, okay. So I'm going to stop. Have you thought of maybe doing a couple things? One is having her tethered on a leash on the other side of the bed, your wife's side. Oh. And I know to begin with, she might actually get frustrated by it. Okay. But to break up the pattern of her being on that side with you, you so don't. Zoe's Zoe's going to hate you. I'm going to tell her. Miss Andrea told us that you can. You know what? You're right, though. I'm falling victim to what all of my followers are because they're just she's so cute and she gives me those eyes. It's like, okay, I'll tuck you back in because I don't want to be cold. I get it. Like, okay, okay. So, so tether her to the side of my wife's going to be. She's going to be like, what are you doing to Zoe? (laughs) So, wait, hold on. That trigger is stupid. No, she's not. 
so you want me to no honestly tether her to this <laughs> to the I consider doing that i mean at an okay. absolute bare yes. minimum i would try and break the habit by saying listen what i would do is i wouldn't reinforce the habit i'm yeah, guessing right. after a week straight of you literally you let her yip and you don't do anything eventually she's going to go it, it, it it's learning theory if a behavior gets no response positive or negative it becomes extinct the problem is when we reinforce behaviors, whether we mean to or inadvertently reinforce them, and then all of a sudden we say, I don't want this anymore, and we now ignore it, usually you get what's called a frustration burst, where the animal exhibits the behavior that previously worked, they exhibit it even more, more frequently, um, and for a longer period of time, they're trying harder to make that behavior work like it used to. So that's sometimes where people go, the trainer told me to do that, and it didn't work. In fact, it got worse. I'm like... Sometimes you have to ride through it. You know what? I'm going to ride this wave. <laughs> I'm going to email you. I have your personal email. No, I'm going to try it. No, no. Here's the deal, though. You, I, I'm happy you called me out on my crap because here's the deal. I, I just, I look at her and we just think she's just like our fur baby and oh, she's so cute and she wants to be tucked back in. But you're right. That's really annoying to be waking up every single morning at that time, like multiple times. How long has this been going on for? Ever three years three three what? and a half years i swear but i mean she god i'm like totally throwing zoe under underneath the bus she's a great dog oh, but you're not throwing her under the bus you're throwing yourself yeah. under the bus <laughs> yeah like three years <laughs> three three and a half years but it's not i guess okay here's the deal i guess i guess i was semi-joking with you saying like oh <laughs> i'm like trying to dig myself out of this hole i just created no you're giving me the eye i think what <laughs> i i think what i'm trying to say is that I guess it hasn't bothered us that much to the extent to where it's like she has to stop. I think it's because we're like, oh, she's cute. But you're right. It, it probably does need to stop. <laughs> okay. <Something. laughs> okay, Andrea, I will let you know in a week. I will send you a message and I will let you know. And uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that encouragement. Okay, back on <laughs> to the follower questions. Okay, so Samantha says, when is the best time to spay slash neuter a dog? Oh, so I, having worked in the rescue world for most of my adult life, I am a big proponent of um, people spaying and neutering if they're not intending on breeding for specific purposes. Um, and those purposes have to be very specific, um, not just because I want my kids to see my dog have a litter of puppies, because there's a lot of animals out there in need of homes. But um, there's been some research in the last like five to 10 years to show that especially with medium to la actually large breed dogs or large mixes that neutering um, at a very early age could potentially increase the risks of certain types of cancer, i.e. bone cancer. That's one of them. But then there's also many studies that show that uh, leaving animals intact, for example, leaving a female intact, not spaying her, um, certainly puts her at risk for pyometria, which is mm. potentially deadly. So I think it's a discussion you have to have with your veterinarian. My personal feelings based on the fact that I've worked in animal rescue for so long is that I think sadly most people are not responsible enough to keep animals intact in most situations. You know, they get loose, they impregnate the neighbor's dog or likewise with cats. So I, I think you should talk to your vet, but I tend to spay and neuter animals when they're quite young. Okay. And how, how, how young? Just month, like a few months or how month uh, so My dog who lived to be, as I said, she just passed away. She was 17 and a half. She was spayed when she was uh, three months and like two weeks, so three and a half months. Okay. Um, my 
my dog Oliver and Maggie were Gordon setters and they were spayed and neutered. I think when they were like a year, year and a half, um, I was showing them at the time. This was many years ago. So it really depends. A dog or cat that I got at this point, I assume would be spayed or neutered already because I would be adopting. And in our state or our city, actually, there's a new law that an animal cannot be sold or um, adopted out, um, no matter how young it is, eight weeks, um, unless it's spayed or neutered, unless there's a medical issue. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay. Let's see. We have another, let's see. Susan says, please explain the advantages slash disadvantages of positive reinforcement training as compared to punishment-based training. So I'm glad she, she said, uh, she used the word based. So, you know, I think a lot, I've been, I keep saying I've been doing this so long. So I was around back when myself and many other people who are now very, very uh, positive trainers like Pat Miller, um, oh, I can't think of, I'm getting old. I can't think of all the different names, but uh, a lot of us were what we call crossover trainers. So we have experience, uh, having trained dogs using primarily punishment based methods. That's the way almost everybody did it back in the day. Um, which I think uh, sadly for those dogs that we trained that way, you know, but I think it gave us insight into why it is generally beneficial to take a more positive approach. And it comes down to this simple fact to me, which is, we have dogs in our lives to be our friends, and we we do not need to use a heavy-handed approach to teach our best friends. We can teach them using gentle methods that enhance the relationship and also get us what we want, which is a well-behaved animal. I've never thought of it like that. Like, you'd never, like, just want to punch your best friend to, like, just because of a... <laughs> My best friend can be a little annoying. Like, she pokes at me. I'm like, why? And I just want to reach to the phone and be like, eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but you know, the thing is we all get upset. And then that's why I said when she used the word based methods, like I can't tell you how many clients say to me, oh, and they think I'm going to get mad at them. They go, I, you know, I have to admit to you the other day I got really upset with Charlie and I kind of yelled at him. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm not going to get mad at you. Listen, if you have a good relationship with your wife and you come home, like for example, after this podcast, you're probably going to be really exhausted and kind of grumpy. You're like, oh, I had to talk to this dog trainer wrong. <laughs> Who scolded me on my own show. <laughs> with your wife, you know, if you're a little grumpy with her and you're like, that, does that mean that your relationship is ruined? No. Why? Because I assume you have a nice relationship that's built on trust and, you know, consideration and cooperation and compromise and all these other good things, says the girl who's divorced. Oh, no. <laughs> I should laugh at that. That's awful. Okay. It's easier to judge what is good for a relationship when you're not I was in like, it. you look but happy. No. Like, you must either be happily married or single and ready to mingle. <laughs> I've been a long time. But anyway, so I digress again. Sorry. So, but the, but the idea is that if you have a good relationship, a good core relationship, if you mess up every once in a while, you know, it's not going to ruin the relationship. Likewise, if you base your approach to raising a dog or a cat on being kind and gentle and teaching and guiding them, call it being a leader, call it whatever you want. If you every once in a while just, you know, you see your dog doing something, you're like, ah, Charlie. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a punishment trainer. It just means you're a person. You know, it's it's not that big of a deal. But but I think the overall idea is to teach our animals using kindness and using our brain rather than brawn. 
Very good. Thank you, Susan, for that. We have a question about chewing, which you already answered. Kendra says, uh, how can you or is there a way to redirect a dog when the doorbell rings? Hand targeting. Hand <laughs> hands. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> okay. Kendra, we're no, to do with the doorbell, which is um, Pavlov. So Pavlov, um, you know, is the person who really uh, pointed out to all of us what classical conditioning is. Yeah. Um, you know, ringing the bell and then uh, giving the dog food, ringing the bell, giving the dog food until eventually, you know, you ring the bell and the dog uh, anticipates the food coming. So the bell becomes the signal, the, 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 food, the cue that the food's coming. So we can do the same thing with our front door. You know, where I live in New York City, most of my clients live in buildings with doormen. So when their dog is reactive to the buzzer or to people in the hallway, you know, I say, give your doorman some money for the next 20 or 30 minutes while I'm here to just buzz the buzzer every three to five minutes. That's what they do. And what do we do? He buzzes the buzzer and we take a handful of yummy treats and we toss them on the ground. And the dog starts off being like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then pretty soon, it usually takes four or five repetitions. The dog hears the buzzer and goes and starts looking around the ground going, where's the food? And I'm like, there it is. And you toss it farther away. So now they're, you've taken off that edge where they're like, you know, my job when I hear the buzzer is to scream. Now they're thinking my job is to look for, you know, where's the good stuff. And then you can, you can install a behavior because the dog's brain is working again. They're not so stimulated. And so the buzzer goes off and you can say to the dog, can you sit? Good job. Or can you lay down? So that you have a dog who learns that even when the stimulus is happening, your job is to respond to me. Oh, that's great. I love that hand thing. Great question. Thank you so much, Kendra. That's awesome. Carol. Oh, oh, hold on. Kevin. Sorry, Kevin. How do you get them to stop submissive urination? Nothing like having to clean your bedding in the middle of the night. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Kevin. That's a that's a rough one. So I would wonder why he would think it's submissive urination if it's happening in the middle of the night. I, I don't that, that to me would be either a dog who's not house trained or who's incontinent. Submissive urination typically means that the dog is urinating when somebody's approaching them um, and it's an appeasement gesture. It's like, I'm a worm, don't hurt me, I'm nervous. Um, peeing on the bed, mm, I would say maybe he needs, unless he's, not to be funny, unless he's getting up to use the restroom and oh, then that's and maybe the dog, maybe. Oh, is, yes. I think that's probably right. Having to get up and like go pee or something and then like the dog's like, oh, you're back and it just... Yeah. And notice how I said going to use the restroom. I'm sorry, so, I said pee. I, At least I didn't say poop. <laughs> so if Kevin goes poop in the middle of the night, Andrea, can you? <laughs> I'm so sorry, Kevin. At least I'm not saying his last name. Okay. No. So no, but so the thing is, if I had a dog who was peeing on my bed, for a while anyway, that dog wouldn't be sleeping on my bed. I would, I would start by having the dog sleep on a bed next to my bed. Um, and then when I started feeling confident that they weren't making mistakes throughout the night, then I would give them access to the bed. But if this is a problem of the dog uh, submissively or excitement urinating when it greets people, I know you're going to laugh at me right now, but I'm not kidding. Okay. One of the parts Straight of face. the solution is hand targeting. Got it. Hand targeting is everything. It really is. It's if you have a dog who learns to bop their cute little nose on a human's hand when it's presented, the flat palm facing them, it's, it, it's the foundation of come when called. It's a way of redirecting your dog away from digging, chewing, barking at other dogs. And it's a really good social behavior for building social confidence 
What do most people do when they go to greet a dog? The thing they shouldn't do. They reach for them. Yeah. You really shouldn't do that. Um, people go, oh, but I asked the owner and he said he was friendly. I'm like, it doesn't matter. If the dog comes to you, that's one thing, but you shouldn't reach into their space. But people do it anyway. So if you have a dog who learns, you know, a hundred times in a week, if not more, that when they a hand comes towards them and they touch it with their nose, they, they hear the word yes or good and they get something, that means that when somebody like a stranger or a visitor in the house comes to say hello to them, they're less inclined to submissively urinate. Okay. Thank you so much, Kevin, for that. Uh, Carol, oh my goodness, I know we have to get going soon. I, um, Carol says, how do you feel about remote training collars? Uh, if she means shock collars, I don't use them. Um, okay. It's not something trainer's toolbox. I'm a big fan of using um, food, toys, attention, my praise or touching, um, and also life rewards. Um, I like using everything the dog wants. So sometimes people get upset when I say this, but my dog, Nora, the one I keep saying who passed away, oh, one so of her favorite so things was, ch oh, it's okay, <laughs> was chasing squirrels. Um, she never, ever caught a squirrel, so everyone, it's okay. But every once in a while, when she would come back to me, when I'd call her, I would say to her, okay, go get it. And she'd get to go and chase a squirrel. She never got them. The squirrels thought it was funny. They'd run up the tree and like basically be laughing at her. But that's a life reward. I was giving her the thing she wanted. I was saying, go, you can go chase. But when I call you, you have to come back. And if you come back again, maybe I'll give you something else you want. So again, my toolbox is um, uh, food, toys, attention, life rewards. And as far as actual physical equipment, I typically use just a plain like six to eight foot leash. I use a plain buckle collar or a front clip or a back clip harness. Awesome. And Andrea, just off the record, I'm going to ask you a serious question. Do you really let your dogs chase squirrels? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm the exotic animal expert. I am really offended that you would let them chase. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm just totally kidding. I'm <laughs> off the record, I'm totally messing with you. No, our dog loves chasing squirrels. <laughs> She's never gotten no, so pc that i'm always worried i'm like if somebody I, I if they could see it they they would understand it's not my dog's not killing squirrels she yeah. was just chasing them <laughs> <laughs> okay stacy says how to get a four-year-old rescue to let us brush her teeth she literally just kind of freaks out and eats the toothbrush um i wouldn't use a toothbrush on a dog who's not comfortable with it i would start with just one of those little um finger brushes um, and just start by just seeing if you can gently just, you know, touch her muzzle, let her lick a little bit of the, uh, whatever paste you're using, touch under her muzzle, really manipulate around her mouth first. See if you then, then can lift up the, her flues, which are like her lips. Um, and then take your finger with one of the little brushes on it. And once you, you're doing that, just do it and do a little brush and then stop and then lift it up and do a little brush and stop and keep doing that until eventually your dog just chills out and you can literally sit there and just brush you know, probably all of their teeth um, in a very relaxed way. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, Holly, how to stop jumping on everyone? You answer that. Ryan, what method or concept do they approach training? Ask the difference of teaching versus training and how they respond. How do you know what is being taught is being retained? So the difference between teaching and training, I love that question because, um, you know, in some ways, I don't love the word training because I feel like it's something we're doing to the dog. I wish I could change the name of my business to Andrea Arden Dog and People Teaching um, <laughs> because that's really what we do. We teach both dogs and people. Um, so I love that question. 
Um, so I don't think there's a difference. I think it's semantics, but I like the word teaching better. Um, and for the second one, how do we know that dogs um, are retaining things? First of all, I'm impressed with myself that I retained the second part of that question. I'm just saying. I, um, I, I didn't even retain it. I had to look back down. I'm like, what did he say? <laughs> Good for you, so Andrea. We, we, we know it um, because we practice. So um, as an example, I have a training session tomorrow with a friend of two friends of mine and their two dogs and they just started working on agility. Uh, one of the dogs, a little Chihuahua mix, uh, um, my friend's going to be upset that I'm outing her dog. She's very, very fearful. And, um, we're trying to work on building her confidence and we just got her working on the A-frame. We started doing the tunnel, which both of those were things, obstacles she was nervous about. So I will know that, that her, her dog's name is B, that B has retained the information that we helped her to absorb. Um, last week, if tomorrow her response, when we bring her to the A-frame and signal her, you know, and prompt her, um, is, is such that she's showing that she understands that her job is to go up the frame down, stop at the bottom with two feet on the ground and, you know, two feet on the frame. It's the, you always look at the behavior. Am I getting the behavior I want? And if so, that means the animal's retaining the information. Okay, good. And he also says, don't forget this one. Ryan said, how important is trust when working with dogs? It is the most important thing. I think, um, I, I love this guy. Who is this fella? Uh, Ryan, I didn't even read you the full question, actually, because it was this long. Want me to... <laughs> no, but yeah, those were the... You know, great stuff. I am so glad he points. said that because that's part of why I really, um, I'm a crossover trainer because... You know, I, I love animals. I want to have a good relationship. I think training is really fun. It's a game. Um, it should be a game for me. It should be a game for them. Even when I'm working with serious behavior problems like aggression, you know, it's not a game when I first walk in the door. Trust me, my major focus is, is the dog on leash? Am I safe? Is the family safe? But once we, I start building a relationship with the dog and the family and I start building a relationship with the family, my job is to engage the dog in such a way that you know, he starts to feel better about me and hopefully other people in the future. And he starts to play the training game with me and trust me enough to know that if I ask him to do something, he's safe and he's going to have fun and he's going to get rewarded. Um, so I think trust is super important regardless of what type of animal you're working with, what their age is, um, and what you're trying to teach. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan, for that. Let me just see really, really quick. I have to answer my cousin's comment. She's going to kill me. Um, hold on. We still have a few to go. Are, are you okay on time, Andrea? Yeah. You don't have a hot date? Yeah. I was going to make a joke and say I do have a hot date, and then I thought, <laughs> eh, why lie? Why, why go there? <laughs> I'm having, by the way, I'm having such a fun time with you, and I hope you are enjoying me. I hope I'm not offending you. I hope you're like laughing along with me, and you're not like, who is this clown that my publicist set me up with at like eight o'clock at night in New York? <laughs> okay. Um. So, uh, really, really quick, let me just get to this. Do, 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 do. Sorry, the Facebook is just loading. I live out in the middle of nowhere, so our internet connection sometimes is a little. It's not like New York City. Okay, so you can cut out, right? I'm sorry, what? So you can cut out. Where do you live? Um, I live an hour outside of Boise on the Snake River in your uh, in Marsing, right in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean, we're in a little small town, but yeah, an hour outside of Boise. Great. Yeah, yeah. you're like I don't want to be there. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Oh, I like this one. Monty says, if you were a dog breed, what would you be? That's a really good question. Me? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I know what I would be. What would you be? I'd be a setter. 
<laughs> because they have really long ears, long hair, and they're goofy. <laughs> <laughs> what would I be? Wait, let me do this right now. Hold on. Could I not look like an Irish setter? Oh, you look. I... Oh my God, you look just like him. I love it. I love it. What would I be just by looking at my appearance? And trust me, I'm not offended. I have really thick skin. It's like this thick. Um, <laughs> you're. You look a little bit like a, like a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Okay. A little bit. Okay. But no, you know what you are. Uh oh. Wait a minute. Uh oh. You're. No, you are. I'm gonna go with Staffordshire Bull Terrier. What is that? No, a, I... a Staffordshire Terrier. Staffordshire Bull Terrier. A Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Oh, oh, yeah. I, th I thought you said. So. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you very much. Okay, I was like, well, very cool. Yeah. You cut out at the very yeah. end. You watch you take your your hat off, and it's like a big thing of red hair, and I'm gonna be like, oh, never mind. You're you're an Irish Terrier. Wait. <laughs> Why does it have to be red? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Fiery red. <laughs> okay, no offense to all my redheads out there. But this just made me think. So we do one of the best things about my job uh -huh. is we run things called puppy playgroups, which they are as much fun as you'd imagine. Like imagine putting 15 to 20 puppies in a room and my job is to be the referee. And I'm like, you know, we've been doing it forever. Um, it's also exhausting because you've yeah, got yeah. all the puppies and all the people who are like, is my puppy okay? Is my puppy? I'm like, yes, he's fine. He's fine. Yes, he's fine. Hold on, hold on. So it's a juggling act, but what's one of the funniest parts is when two or three of my trainers do it together sometimes, and under our breaths, we'll be making the voices of the puppies. <laughs> <laughs> we have a dog right now, and he's a St. Bernard puppy named Philip. and one of my trainers was doing, I can't do it, I'm, I'm not that funny, but was doing this voice of him, and he, he's so lumbering, and she was just like, I'm Philip. I hope somebody feels confident enough to play with me. Would be a good show. Just like comedians doing voiceovers of puppies in a puppy play group. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's awesome. Uh, oh, my, my cousin, Annie wants to know at what age should you start leash training? At eight weeks old. Eight weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Eight you, weeks. I mean, I think, I think little baby puppies are so unbelievably receptive mm -hmm. and entering the training game. Um, I've watched videos. There's a guy, I wish I knew his name who raises these really beautiful working dogs and he has this incredible enrichment area for them. And he posts these really cool videos online. I'm getting everybody all interested in it and I can't remember his name, <laughs> but, but he's, got, he's got these really young baby animals that are problem solving. They're learning to go through obstacles and over oh. different surfaces. I think a lot of the dogs are being raised as police dogs and what have you. Um, but we always say to people like they're so malleable when they're babies, you know, in the old days when I first started, people were told to wait to start training until their dogs were six months old. And the reason was because back then training was so heavy handed that young puppies, I mean, you couldn't do half the stuff to them or you'd really hurt them. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, most trainers, myself included, you know, it's all about having fun and all this sort of stuff. And, um, and so we start when they're really young because it's safe and fun for them. And it's easier to start when they're that young than to wait until they're older and they already have established problems. Awesome. Thank you, cousin Annie. Okay. Uh, Monique wants to know, how can I get my cat to not jump violently out of my arms when I'm trying to snuggle? <laughs> He's 14 and I think it's a lost cause. Thank you, Monique. I'm liking that comment. That's funny. That is funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just just let it go. Let it go. Literally let the cat go and just let it go. You know, the thing is, 
sometimes we want something from somebody we're in a relationship with and they don't, they just, they can't give it. And we just have to go fine. The relationship's good. That's one thing I'm not going to get. And if long-term snuggle time is something that Monique really wants and her cat can't give it to her, maybe she needs to get a second cat. Awesome. Thank you. That's a good, yeah. Thank you, Monique. Thank you, Andrea. I love that. Jan wants to know, rescued a nine-year-old pug that was obese, got her weight down, but very food obsessed, eats almost everything, including her own poop at times. Yeah. So that's, that's, there are dogs who, um, and I'm not, I probably shouldn't say this. I, I'm actually food obsessed. Like, I'm not kidding. I eat one meal and as I'm eating, I'm thinking of the next meal. I'm one of those crazy people. Oh. And totally relate to this pug. And it's stressful when you start getting hungry, even just a little bit. And you're like, so there are foods that can help fill the dog up a little bit. I will warn you, some of those foods can cause gas and pugs are notorious for already being gassy. So I would check with your vet and see uh, maybe some broccoli, um, some carrots. Does even it some broccoli apples. give you gas though? That's why I just said some of them will. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. But, but it depends on the dog. Okay. So, um, but you, but you're really looking for stuff that is just going to fill them up and give them something to do. It's just that sort of like crunching thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay. Um, Liz wants to know how to get a cat to stop waking you up in the middle of the night. And she loves jumping on her bed and meowing in my ear and needing oftentimes hitting me, wanting attention when we're asleep, waking us up from a dead sleep to a claw in your arm is not a fun experience. Well, let me just say, what's this woman's name? This Liz. Liz, don't, don't ask Corbin. <laughs> don't, don't ask me what to do, Liz, because I'm in the same boat. <laughs> so, you know, I had two cats who were like this when I was married. And um, it, believe it or not, it didn't drive my ex-husband crazy. It drove me crazy. And I'm the one who's the animal lover. But I was like, I need my sleep. So my solution was simple and it worked, which was as much as he wanted the cat sleeping on his head, I couldn't handle it because they kept waking me up and moving around. So they were banished from the bedroom for a period of time until um, we got them on a routine where they were most active, like around five or six o'clock, right when we got home from work. And that way, by the time it rolled around for us to go to bed, they weren't quite as up. I mean, cats tend to be animals that are relatively active in the evening so it's no surprise yeah okay okay jenny how do i get my male dog to stop marking in my house please help oh wow that would be an issue yeah well that's what i was saying before the house training thing it's really a lot of it just comes down to saying jenny if i were to give you a hundred thousand dollars oh did you see my eyes perk up <laughs> if your dog didn't make a mistake in the house for one week just one week and all you and we get to put cameras in TV show. And all you have to do is not let your dog pee in the house. You would do it without even asking me how. And the way you would do it is you'd say it's worth $100,000. If I have to tell my boss I'm taking the week off, I'm going to sit with my dog on my lap. If I can't tell my boss I'm taking the week off, I'm going to put my dog in a crate or I'm going to put him in an area like a pantry. And I'm going to make sure to take him out to reward him to go when he most needs to go. The reason people don't do it is they, they kill with kindness. They go, oh, I feel so badly. That seems so mean. No, what's mean is having a dog who continues to have mistakes in the house, which means your relationship is probably suffering. Okay, good. And then Cassie says, how to get your six-month-old great lab mix from eating the furniture, and that's the same thing. Crate train, correct, or? 
management, being careful. It's imagine you have like a child in the house and you're just, you're preventing them from practicing behaviors you don't like. Okay. Julie asks, my dog is 11 years old and has no manners. Is it too late? (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh. You can teach a dog of any age, but if you've had that dog for 11 years and you haven't done any training, what is the impetus for you considering wanting to teach something? Like, is there a new child in the home? Is there a new partner? Are you moving? Um, If not, and your dog's behavior has worked for you for 11 years, I don't know. Are you willing to put the effort in? If so, more more power to you, I would say do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Brittany says, when you call your dog after they've been naughty, for example, them running away, how do you punish them for the bad behavior, but also reward them for coming when called? That's actually a good question. You don't. You only reward them for coming when called. You Okay, so you don't punish them, let's say, for running away to the neighbor's house. You just reward them for coming. Yeah. And if, if you really, if you're really into punishment, you should probably take a newspaper, roll it up and whop yourself on the head. Cause why'd you let your dog run off? But yeah, the most important thing is to make sure that you are very, very careful. And this is part of why we don't love punishment training that what you think you're punishing for, in this case, it was something that maybe happened 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes ago, is probably not what your dog thinks they're being punished for. If your dog comes back after running off and you go, you are such a bad boy, why did you do that? A dog's way of thinking and processing information is a lot simpler. The dog is probably thinking, I came running back to mummy and mummy yelled at me. So the next time it's going to be even harder to get the dog to come back. And if they do, they're going to come slinking back even more slowly and and progressively so each time they get loose. So it's the opposite. You really want to say, let's throw a party. Next time I'm going to be more careful and manage my dog. Okay. Bob has a question regarding prey-driven species. How do you get your husky to stop killing cats or chickens? Oh, that's a heavy one. Yeah. If you have an animal who's killing other animals, that's that's not training. That is 100% management. And I have to say, I um, I feel strongly that uh, even though dogs are prey animals, um, and there are lots of animals that are, and I have nothing against them. Like I'm not one of those people who thinks that coyotes are bad. Oh, good. Uh, they're animals. They're animals. I mean, they're you know, I do. I think it's horribly sad when somebody's dog gets hurt by a coyote. Of course, I do. Um, but I also think in most cases we've encroached in their environment. So with that said, I feel the same way about this Husky. It's not that the Husky is a bad dog, but, um, I do think that it is quite unfair to those animals that are getting hurt or being threatened and to the people whose animals are being hurt or threatened. So that's really about management and just saying you have knowledge that you have a dog that has this propensity and your job is to make sure your dog is safely contained. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to get that down, but I just wanted to get that. Uh, let's see. Oh, Laura says how, and we're almost done, Andrea. I'm sorry. I know that we're getting, <laughs> we're almost done. I just, so many people are just wanting your, oh, sorry. Okay. We'll do, how about, how about we do one more? Is that good? One more? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more. Laura says, um, how do I get a giant dog to stop bringing his giant paw up and smacking you with it when you try to play with him? He's a year and a half Husky pit and maybe some great Dane in there. I also have to share this. It's hilarious. Um, I just want to give you an idea of how big he is. So they actually shared this. Oh, this is funny. Okay. You'll like this. Can you see that? Oh my gosh. What is he? <laughs> okay. He is huge and he is adorable. And that, <laughs> oh my 
<laughs> that's a great dog. Yeah, that's yep. a great. So, so that's a, that's you know a lot of times people I think people think dog trainers are party poopers, which sometimes we are. I admit it. Um, and people will come to puppy class and they think it's so cute when their puppy, you know, is doing paw and wave, and they're like, oh look, he's so great. And dog trainers that ones I know cringe. We're like, no. Do not reinforce a puppy learning to do this with their paw. And they go, why? It's so cute. I'm going to take a video. I'm posting it on Instagram. It's going to get so many likes. And I say to them, because if you teach a baby animal that paw behavior, hitting you, you know, all this sort of stuff with their paws is a way to get your attention, to get treats, it's probably going to be something that they're going to do more and more frequently, even if you don't ask them to do it. They're just going to throw it at you. And that sounds like I'm guessing what might have happened here. It might have been really cute when that absolutely deliciously adorable giant dog was younger, smaller. And now all of a sudden it's like, wow, he, ow, he walloped me in the face. Mm -hmm. So the thing they really need to do is, is do their best to reinforce him when he's got four feet on the floor. And at first their timing's going to have to be really precise because he's probably doing a lot of it, mm -hmm. which means the moment that his feet are on the floor, you mark that behavior and say yes or good and reinforce him. And the moment he even starts to lift his paw, nope, we're done, you walk away. So that he starts to get it, he's getting feedback on both ends. He's getting positive feedback when his four feet are on the floor, and he's getting the feedback of the thing he most wants going away, i.e. human attention, when he lifts his paw off the ground. Awesome. Andrea, thank you so much. I know I kept you over it. I know you're like 20 minutes over. I just, you're, you're just a wealth of knowledge, and I had so much fun laughing. <laughs> yeah, I so this doesn't even it's not even picking up your laughing so it sounds like you're completely <laughs> silent on the other end oh my god no I'm laughing <laughs> you know what next time in New York we should go grab like a cup of coffee or something I think it'd be fun or film something wouldn't that be fun oh, it'd be great I actually really would love that really yeah. okay no, you're not I'm just not telling me that no, no, no I really mean it I would love that Okay. No, no. How often do you come to New York? Um, it really depends. So usually like every other month, it depends on my press tour. It's whether I'm like doing the like today show or late night or anything like that. So we're working on a press tour soon. So I would love to connect with you if I have time. Usually I know that sounds bad when I fly in, I like literally fly in and then fly out. Just, you know what oh, I mean? No, to get I, back home yeah. to my animals. Wait, but... wait, before we go, I have to ask you a question. Oh. So I have an interview who has, and I'm embarrassed because I don't even know. I think he has three or four snakes. Okay. And he's got a couple other things. You don't like snakes? Oh, oh my. Not, oh, no, you gave me the squirmy face. I don't oh. like them. Hold on. Wait, okay. let me explain. Let me explain what happened. Oh. Let me explain this to you. Got it. One of the snakes got loose in the house. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now you're feeling me. And I go out there and I sleep on the couch. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, but I am a little nervous about the snake just coming up in the middle of the night. Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so what 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 type of snake is it like? Is it like a ball python or maybe a corn snake? It's not a corn snake. The first one sounded more like what it is. A ball python? Is it like three and a half, four foot? Yes. Okay, perfect. So what's going to happen is the snake, are, are you nervous it's just going to crawl on you or like slither on you? Okay, but you're not nervous it's not going to eat you because a ball python can eat you. Yeah, yeah. okay, perfect. So I don't want to, I don't want to start screaming when all out of nowhere I see a snake and I'm like, ah! So the odds, no, that's a great question. So the, I love how now I'm being serious too. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> so the odds of that happening are like, I would say a million to one. The last thing that this small python would want to do is go up to 
in his eyes, like a large predator and just slither over, you know, on you. So it's going to be trying to find somewhere nice and warm to be able to like hide. So they're typically, they get lost underneath refrigerators, uh, dryers, washers, um, ovens. I got, oh my God, mom's going to kill me. We had a Burmese Python when I was like eight that got lost in our stove. And when she was about to heat the burner, it was wrapped around the bone, the, wrapped around the burner. I <laughs> <laughs> the, the snake was fine, but like, you know, we're an hour and 20 minutes in and people are still listening. They, they deserve to know. So my point being is they're not going to slither, you know, on you. I would suggest a few things. For instance, maybe putting a hide box out and maybe putting a heating pad underneath the hide box to where maybe the snake will go in there. Oh, this podcast has just taken a turn for the better. <laughs> for the better. Very good information. <laughs> yes. And now you have my personal email, so you could try that. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, but you know, you could, you know, let me know if that works. Like a heating pad or a hide box would be really good. Even just put several hide boxes around the house, shoe boxes, or empty, oh, or empty, um, you know, like the 12-packs, like Diet Coke you get, like empty, you know, packs of soda or whatever and have them just serious. it's so funny i i feel like i you know that's why when you started and you're like oh andrea knows so much about blah, blah blah i'm like no all of us are always learning about behavior animals are complex and there's so many different types of animals and i it would never have crossed my mind to come up to that with that solution and once you said it i'm like Oh yeah, that's so smart that seems so simple but it's so smart thank you yeah thank you because yeah, well, it'll I'm out there lying on the couch. <laughs> yeah, and you'll be fine. And and that snake will does not want to get next to you at all. But yeah, I yeah do multiple hide boxes. We'll have sometimes we'll have snakes get out in in my animal house. None of my animals are in my house, but and they'll just you know we have like hide boxes out that we use, and they'll just sometimes you'll find them underneath there or in, in inside cabinets sometimes. <laughs> like if they're able to get in, um, if it's if it's warm. See now the interview's going downhill, so I'll just stop. I have one last question for you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to be able to confidently tell my nephew this. Okay. How many snakes is too many snakes for one nephew to have? There are never <laughs> too many snakes, my friend. <laughs> hold on. Is long, no. Hold on, hold on. Is long is, okay, let me ask you a question. Is he responsible? Yes, very. It, I mean, is he making sure the animals, you know, have, you know, always clean, ex you know, enclosures, fresh water, fed on time? He no. can have as many as he wants and is make sure, you know, he has enough space. But my friend Earl has over a thousand snakes. <laughs> Just the fact that you started with that with my friend Earl. <laughs> <laughs> of course his you know, name is Earl. <laughs> I have a friend named Earl too, so. <laughs> I swear to you, Earl, Earl, I have it in my phone. He has over a thousand snakes, but he loves the snakes. I personally, I think I have around 10 snakes now, but I've been, you know, keeping snakes for 18, 19 years, so. My whole life, basically. Yeah, no, but the other problem with having so many snakes is that they're expensive. See, look, I want you to see I have a friend named Earl as well. <laughs> I can't see. <laughs> it's there, I swear. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Andrea, is there a place that people can find you? Like, can they go through your program if, if you are in New York? Can they do like an online program? Is that a stupid question? We don't do online. Everything is in person. Um, okay. But yeah, they, they, I mean... We're most active on Instagram. It's Andrea Arden Dog Training. Okay. And we post cute pictures of puppies and we post articles on our website and stuff. But yeah, hopefully I'll be back here and I'll be able to answer more questions. Absolutely. I would love to have you back. I would love to have you back. So awesome. They can follow you, Andrea Arden and Andrea Arden Dog Training on Instagram. 
Yes, sounds good. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. It really was great. You were really fun. Thank okay. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.